The coronavirus is having a huge impact on everyone's daily lives at the moment, both in the UK and across much of the world. Although there's an obvious physical health pressure caused by the virus, there's also a huge toll placed on people's mental health. Whether this is because of new restrictions placed on our abilities to be outside and congregate with our colleagues and friends, a fear of what the virus will do to our or our loved ones' health, a stripping back of services that keep us well in normal times, dealing with the far end of a continuum of either being in lockdown with family members 24 hours a day or extreme loneliness or one of the many other problems this unprecedented situation causes. I'm joined by two guests today who I know will have lots of helpful thoughts to share about some of these and other risks that we face. I'm sure they'll also have ideas of what we can do as individuals and as communities to get through this. Vanessa, as well as being a member of the Mental Health Nurse Association editorial board for our Mental Health Nursing Journal, is also a mental health nurse, healthcare consultant, director of Sociable Angels, a leading light on mental health and mental health nursing on Twitter, including leading the WE Mental Health Nursing and national mental health lead at the Compass Charity, an organisation which provides health and wellbeing services. Hi, Vanessa. Hello. Thanks for having us here. Vanessa's membership of the editorial board is relatively new. We now go to the other extreme with my second guest, that's Dr Mike Ramsey. Mike's membership of the board started in 2006 and included a long period where Mike assumed the chair. He's also the professional lead in the University of Dundee School of Nursing and Health Science. Mike's worked in IPCU, acute rehabilitation and continuing care of the elderly, and his research interests include older people's mental health and well-being and nursing philosophy and education. Hi, Mike. Hi. Now, first up, how are you both coping with the current lockdown? I'm stunned into silence, really. I don't even know where to begin. I guess for me, like everyone across the country, socially isolating at the minute. I live in the middle of the countryside, so I've got nothing around me, no people around me. It's me and the two children. Because I'm um, not with uh, my children's dad, I'm also having to share care between my house and them. And obviously, it's quite a difficult time to be separated from them at the moment they're quite anxious and, and worried and um, wanting to be with me at the moment and I'm trying to do my work juggle my work juggle running the house and um, obviously homeschooling as well so it's quite complicated I'm not seeing my mum who's usually here all the time helping out and just being around she's in Scarborough she's stuck inside I'm worried about her because she can't get out and she can't get a slot for her food shopping so people are having to drop her food in and that kind of thing, which I know is happening everywhere at the moment. And yeah, it's just um, generally a strange time. But I think on a positive, I'm going to put a positive spin on it. It's also been quite a grounding time, I think, because I've been at home much more. You know, the children have been at home much more. I've noticed that they're spending less time in the bedroom and on the PlayStation some more time with me. So my daughter's been doing lots of writing and recording. She did a little poem that I shared on Twitter. And my son, I didn't know that he could draw and I've discovered he's really artistic and he's been drawing prolifically. So it has had positive effects in terms of being at home. But yeah, like everybody else, it's, um, it's a very difficult time. And I'm self-employed, so obviously worrying about the future I've got plenty of work at the moment but who knows I have volunteered through the local mental health trust to go and help out from a nursing point of view as well if I'm needed but that's going to be a challenge for me in terms of childcare but obviously you know I want to do my bit if um, if I can. 
And how about you, Mike? Well, <clears throat> I found myself very grumpy and irritable uh, in the early throws of it. Probably um, a f- sense of feeling somewhat thwarted from the normal activity. That was, that was I, I feel myself get, kind of getting short of temper. That's kind of past. I think a, a routine or a, norm, a new normality has kind of settled in in some respects. There's certainly a domestic arrangements. Probably since my younger daughter works night shift at McDonald's. But since they closed, she's been here. She's been making pancakes every day for breakfast, which I think in England you call drop scones, which has been very nice. We started menu planning and making bespoke meals and eating from what we've got out of the cupboard. None of us like the whole panic buying or hoarding mentality very much, so we've been eating what we've got in the cupboard. And so we've made some interesting new meals uh, and sort of been quite creative that way. And that's been quite good. And eating as a three... Uh, worries about my elder daughter who has a low white count due to a medication she's on and she's having to protectively isolate and so they took an early decision to move in with her in-laws because she has a, a, young, a very young child in case she becomes ill so there's people around to look after our granddaughter but her white cell count they stopped the medication when they saw the virus coming and her white cell counts improved and so she's less at risk now should she contract it because she'd be much better able to fight it um, in terms of work, it's been busy. I'm probably working more hours than I did before. You typically starting about eight every day, finishing the back of five, and then usually checking in on things in the evening for an hour. Last night it was two hours, so didn't switch off till about 10 to 10. Been probably much busier uh, in some respects because I've been very involved in the paid placements allocation for our university for our third year students, which is really important work. I'm also, like Vanessa, exploring ways in which I might be able to help clinically. And I'm thinking that I might do some join a bank and uh, help out in care homes who I know are suffering from staffing shortages due to illness and staff self-isolating. So I think that's probably a place that I could help, given my background in caring for older people as an RGN and an RMN. Just in the kind of intros that you've both given there, you've highlighted two areas that you know is putting pressure on people at the moment. Vanessa, you mentioned the example of living in a house where you've got a relationship, where you've got to cope with two children as a single parent. Lots of people are having to come to terms with isolation, with different relationship makeups or breakdowns, yeah. uh, and how much pressure and, and stress that can put on people. One of the things that's been raised a few times, including in Parliament, is the concerns around people experiencing domestic abuse uh, and how they can get through this time where they might be forced to live very closely with someone who is actually abusive towards them and advice that we would hope people can take in terms of getting support through that. I agree and that's something that's been worrying me at the moment and I know there's lots of charities like in York there's IDAS that do absolutely brilliant work around domestic abuse and there's obviously the National Domestic Abuse Helpline and they're absolutely brilliant organisations for people to to reach out to and the police as well actually the police aren't always as heavy-handed as as people think and they can be really supportive but of course domestic abuse is complex it's not straightforward in terms of how to respond but I think very difficult times for people who are in those situations at the moment and you know my heart does go out to them really. And Mike the kind of example that I picked up from your introduction that issue about home working and different pressures that that creates on people one of the responses that we can have you know sometimes employers might think that putting staff on home working will mean that they go home and they don't do any work 
But actually, in my experience, the opposite can happen, that people find it even more difficult to turn off from a day of work when work is at home. Have you found any coping strategies or techniques to get you through those periods where you are keep looking at the work emails and feeling that you can't switch off? Yeah, this comes from a degree of discipline from I was given a sabbatical 18 months ago to write up my thesis. And I found that the days that you actually commit to a start time, have a shower, get dressed, just like you're going to work, are the most productive days and the most structured days. Days where you start off over your cereal in your pyjamas or something like this, and then you think, all right, I better get dressed. And the day seems to lack structure. And so if you actually commit to a start time for work, give yourself a few targets to do in your working day. Think about a lunchtime. You would have your breaks from your display screen, but actually have a proper, at least a good half hour away at lunchtime. And then set yourself a, an approximate finishing time. I think that can yes. So I, I've been kind of working about 8.30 to um, about five o'clock with about three quarters of an hour off in the middle. Today was a bit different. My mum's not been well and she needed milk. So I had to get on my bike and go and buy milk and take it over to her house. Mm -hmm. So that was a wee bit different. And I just combined that. I rolled that into my daily once a day exercise and cycled about six miles. But having a degree of structure and a degree of new normality, as I called it, um, I think is an important thing. I've been really, really busy because two, two things, because of this placement imperative that schools and nursing will be struggling with, or contending with up and down the country has to be organised and the other thing is that some of the new working arrangements mean I work slower because I'm IT able but I'm not IT gifted and so things like coming to grips with Microsoft Teams and Blackboard Collaborate are new platforms for me and I'm obviously a bit clunky until I become more au fait with them. Now Mike another thing that you just mentioned is the exercise that you take every day so mm -hmm. I, I know that you're a keen bike rider mm -hmm. I saw Vanessa from your Twitter bio includes that you're a runner the government are encouraging us all to have one period of exercise outside a day at the moment. Do you think that that will help us get through this current crisis in a much better way? And how can we support people to make sure they get out there to do the exercise? For me, there is obviously going outside, running, walking, taking gentle exercise. I think that's beneficial, not just in terms of the exercise, but just getting out and getting fresh air and seeing nature and feeling grounded and feeling more connected to the outside rather than being inside all the time. But equally, I've got quite a lot of benefit from doing things online with my daughter. So there's lots at the moment, if you go onto Instagram and, and Twitter and Zoom, there are lots and lots of um, free online yoga classes you can do. Um, I know the body coach, I've been doing a um, PE session with the body coach and with my daughter on the morning. So that's helping me get a bit of structure into my day and getting up. Davina McCall, I know she's made her programme free at the moment, so people can join that and there's lots of exercise and lots of other tips as well. So I think, yeah, exercise is really important, but I also think like everybody, I'm having to be really disciplined because and that's what Mike said really about trying to bring structure to my working day. I've got a lot of work on and at first I was finding that I was just working all day into the evening and then worrying about homeschooling and how do I fit everything in around it. So I'm trying to be a lot more disciplined really and follow what Mike's just been saying about trying to bring back a bit of routine into my day and also trying to separate the week from the weekend and trying to make sure that I'm doing different things on the weekend to what I'm doing during the week because otherwise I think the weekdays and the weekends could merge together. And I think as well, thinking about the children, 
although they've got homeschooling, my view is that their mental health is just as important at the moment. So I'm not being rigid at all about whether they complete everything that the teacher gives them. I'm kind of following their lead with what feels right for them to do and I'm trying to create other opportunities for them at the moment. So I guess we started off with exercise and I've moved on to other things, but for me everything feels quite interconnected at the moment between the sort of physical health and the mental health. One question from that is, do you think that will actually, for some of us, benefit us as we come out of this current crisis, that it will centre us more in terms of that link between mental and physical health? I think that might help because I live on quite a busy road that's quite close to our local high school. And of course, I'm used to seeing the kids, if I'm here, walking past the window or I meet them when I'm walking the dog in the morning. And of course, the road is now quiet most of the time. But what at the weekend I noticed was families out walking much more. Many more families actually yeah. walking. But I've also seen a lot of individual people who either live alone or maybe have work responsibilities still. And I've seen people out in there. And they're obviously out for a proper walk, if, if you like, because they've got, you know, they've got they've got running shoes on or they're in kind of sports gear. There's no sports centres open. So people are um, clearly taking the, the chance to get proper cohesive exercise in and I think that we know the relationship between physical health and mental health in terms of exercise. But I think where people are living together and and they're going out for walks. My wife and I have walked the dog much more often. Usually either of us walks the dog individually. So we've walked the dog together. My younger daughter normally works night shift. She's been walking the dog with her mum sometimes. So I think there's actually a chance for a bit more of sort of cohesive relate, relating with one another. And I think people are kinder on social media. And I think we've been really kind to one another in our interactions at work that I've noticed either on Microsoft Teams with these virtual meetings or on emails, communication people are genuinely saying stay well or stay safe and we all know that people actually mean that just now so I'd like to think that's a nice relational hangover that we might have from this but equally I'm aware that if you're in a toxic household that's a problem or if you're isolated my mum is alone with her virus the GP doesn't think she's got the virus and but she's not been well this last two weeks she seems to be responding but she says she's been sometimes she's felt quite alone and she says that sometimes she's felt actually quite anxious and fearful, not least of which she's not been able to actually see her GP in the way that she normally would. And so she says there's a couple of times she's felt really quite fearful in her own home. And so other people must feel that. I've actually had a touch of gout for the first time in my life. I think I would have probably sought GP help and I'm not bothering just now and it's passing. But imagine if you've got a new mental illness and you can't access the help that you need or the help that you come comes virtually down a phone or down a sort of Skype link or something, that's not going to help you, particularly if you have terrifying thoughts or terrifying experiences that come with your illness. That would be hard at any time, but unimaginably hard if you can't see people to help you at a time of critical need. And that's one of the things that I constantly return to in terms of one of my concerns around the, the current crisis is the way that for many of us, we can adapt our lifestyles. We can take advantage of the current situation that we face and adapt. But actually, do we have the same problem that we always face, that those that face inequality in life actually suffer much more through this current situation? And I suppose is there any better example than people suffering from a mental health illness? One of the things that I've reflected with people nationally is that 
there's this huge mobilisation of people to support people's physical health, to stop them from becoming unwell, to stop them from going into hospital, to stop them, you know, needing critical care. And if they do need critical care, having huge hospitals created from scratch around that. But actually, for our mental health services and people that are accessing them, are we actually limiting the opportunities to access them? Are we closing them? Are we moving those professionals out of those services to look after people's physical health? Have you got any inflections on that? I mean, there's so much in that, isn't there? I think what we were just saying at a basic level of people who've not experienced mental health difficulties before, but are now experiencing low mood and anxiety due to the current situation. People who are losing their businesses, for example, talked about domestic abuse, people who are in toxic situations. And then right through to, um, and you know, those people not getting access to help because it's very difficult to, of course, be a GP at the moment. And I know, like, physically I had a fall a few weeks ago and I had my blood taken and they came back abnormal. And I've tried about four times to get through to somebody who can tell me what my blood results are. And obviously they're too busy and nobody's got back to me. So if you have anxiety or depression and you're experiencing that. I can be resilient, I can take vitamins, I can assume that it's nothing important, but if you're somebody who's struggling and you're trying to act help at the moment, that's very difficult. And I think in the context of having an NHS that's moving towards care close to home, we're now in a crisis where people are close to home and we've been promoting this message about community, about family and friends supporting their loved ones to stay at home longer. And yet at the moment, we're having to socially isolate from friends and family. So I've been thinking, for example, about people who are staying at home in early stages of dementia and relying on families. You know, what, what's going to happen there in terms of the loneliness, their mental health, some of the risks that they're experiencing. We hear a lot about the NHS, but social care are also our heroes in the system at the moment. And I think we need to acknowledge them as well. And then I think right through to people who experience psychosis and the impact of the current corona situation on their mental health issues around pharmacology and what medications people are on and whether it's going to interact with the virus. And then right through to people actually getting admitted to hospital and there being beds available. So whenever I've told anybody I'm a nurse, instantly people say to me, are you going to help out on the wards? And what they mean is, am I going to help out on the acute wards? And I have no skills to work on an acute ward. But there's just that assumption, isn't there, that we're all going to help out on an acute ward and people aren't really thinking that there's going to be a mental health crisis because there isn't really clarity, is there? And, and people don't really acknowledge mental health on the same level. And then I think there's also, as well as the current situation, there's obviously the changes to the Mental Health Act because there aren't enough psychiatrists to detain people and there's a worry so they're bringing in you know the legislation around only one doctor being able to detain someone for me there's a massive role there as a nurse around advocacy and kind of reassuring people and making sure that people still understand their rights and have the right to appeal if they are wrongfully detained and that we're reassuring people that this is because we're in the middle of a national emergency rather than us restricting people's rights. But it's still very difficult when there's already an inequality there about people's liberty and sort of the paternalistic system. And then we're also changing the Mental Health Act 
as well. And then I think we talked about exercise and what I was thinking about when we were talking was also about people who've got problems with body image and maybe people who've got eating difficulties as well. Because the reality is we are all probably going to put on weight and, you know, most of us accept that that's going to happen and that's the reality of being at home. But for some people, that's massively difficult. And I think we, we have to remember that we're all kind of somewhere on the continuum, but for some of us where we've got small anxieties about things some people those anxieties are going to be huge at the moment and I think there's sort of parity at the moment between sort of physical health and mental health is is really highlighted and I suppose on a positive note I'm seeing lots of positive things that charities like Reaping are doing and they seem to be really reaching out to people and and getting involved with the whole movement around NHS volunteers and and all that kind of thing and you know obviously the royals as well and um and lots of mental health charities uh, are reaching out and i think charities are often unsung heroes aren't they in the system that do a lot of good things and i think at these times then you know they're really helpful to turn to and of course social media as well i think the mental health community a lot of people isn't there reaching out and supporting people on social media and I know, you know, people in my own networks who've got quite severe mental health difficulties, I've seen that they're using social media a lot at the moment and the digital areas are really positive at the moment for all of us, isn't it? Just allowing us to stay connected. But again, acknowledging that there is some exclusion there and not everybody can afford access to technology as well. Just weaving two of those points together, I was going to ask about eating disorders. One of the friends of Mental Health Nurses Association, Hope Virgo, has been writing some really good stuff, describing some of the problems that she's faced in terms of the lack of availability of getting to shopping and the products that maybe you normally would rely on not being available and how that can have such a triggering impact on her mental health. I feel quite anxious about food at the moment, especially because I've got three children and I want them fed and healthy and just imagining those people that already have an anxiety about food how much it must multiply and and become even more problematic one of the things i'd known from that that all fair and 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 i couldn't disagree with it i've also wondered about a pernicious attachment to home drinking as well here we've seen the lager stand being empty as long as the lural stand has been empty and if okay if folk are um, maybe uh, drinking in the house and drinking socially maybe that's quite a good thing because they're actually maybe instead of going out alone they're drinking with other people who they live (laughs) with and maybe managing that maybe several evenings a week and that's okay but what if someone's on the cusp of what one might term as problem drinking now this situation could exacerbate it especially when drinking is not only used as a a social softener if you like but it's used as a social crutch to alleviate boredom or stress or anxiety and so we might see an accrual of substance misuse and drinking related difficulties as a byproduct of this crisis the other thing i've worried about a bit more is financial issues we're hearing about um people being laid off people having furloughed salaries being provided for for periods of time but they're not full salaries for mo- most people and if those people lower waged that that will become a great stressor you would imagine and you do worry about people even who are maybe in fairly well paid jobs losing their jobs and um, because their businesses go to the wall if there's not enough of a bailout or a timely enough bailout and you worry 
about the mental health impact of that of financial worry and of unemployment, which we know are two bedfellows of mental ill health. So I do worry about that. Aside of the isolation and aside of the unmet new mental health need, we might be creating mental health need inadvertently, albeit by having to respond so dramatically or so drastically to this global crisis. Just on those two points, thinking about areas of support and advice, in terms of the issue with increased alcohol intake, just thinking about one of the first events that was cancelled due to the coronavirus lockdown was a conference that Equally Well UK was running in London. And obviously they've been an organisation that's looking at the interplay between physical health and mental health. Some of the work that they'll be doing over the next few months will be really critical in this situation. Just on that issue of money and the COVID-19 crisis. We've seen the Money and Mental Health Policy Institute again step up and they're doing some brilliant work, including their, the person that they set it up, Martin Lewis, who I think has been a real stellar standout person advocating for support for people financially during the crisis. It'd be really a miss of me if I didn't also recognise and highlight the work that Unite and other sister trade unions have been doing, arguing for the status of workers across the country being recognised. And that's not just those people that are in secure paid PAYE employment also those people that have been on things like zero hours contract people that work in the gig economy making sure that everyone is treated with the same level of respect and support because at the end of the day no one should have to suffer because their employer has been a bad employer and employed them on dodgy terms and conditions. One of the first questions that I thought I would ask you today, which obviously I've not asked as a first question, was I did think about asking you both, which issue do you think is the most pressing that impacts on our mental health? But then I thought how difficult that question would be because there's so many of them. Rather than that, what areas do you think it would be good to acknowledge today that we've maybe not already acknowledged? An area for me that I'd like to acknowledge is the mental health of the NHS workforce at the moment. People are working in really abnormal, high-stress, high-trauma situations day after day after day at the moment, and that's taken its toll. I mean, I read last week about, sadly, about a nurse working in intensive care in London who's taken her own life, for example, and I think, well, we haven't got a workforce that are all feeling at that level of being suicidal. I think we need to acknowledge that there are people who will be really struggling with their mental health at the moment, who are continuing to care for other people. And there are also people who might be feeling okay at the moment, but this is going to be a trauma situation that's going to hit people afterwards, I think. And I think, you know, the mental health needs of the NHS workforce are massive and need to be acknowledged and we need to be thinking about ways we can support each other. We've been doing COVID support for nurses, which Theresa Tin set up online and what we are talking about, what else we can do to keep people connected and give people a space online talk. And I think people seem to be reaching out to each other, but clearly like local organisations, leaders and managers need to be stepping forward and, and supporting people and equally their support they need to have their support there as well so that they can lead and manage other people so I just wanted to acknowledge that because I just think you know the NHS workforce are just amazing aren't they at the moment how they're putting their own lives at risk leaving their families isolating themselves from their families and going in day after day to provide care for people people who are very poorly people who are dying 
people in mental health, all the sort of specialisms of the NHS. So for me, I just really want to acknowledge that and thank people as well for everything that they're doing at the moment. Just to come back on that, Vanessa, there's obviously things that organisations we're doing nationally to try and support people working in the NHS, but obviously included in in social care and all the other public services. Uh, One of them is looking at the response in terms of support, guidance and advice along the lines of what we've seen after other critical incidents. So I know some of the people that were involved in, for example, the Manchester Arena bombing Mm. have been advising NHS England on how we should be responding and supporting staff at this time. There's also the normal uh, bits of support that organisations should have in place. Mm. So if they've got occupation patient health colleagues or they've got access to <laughs> human resources support and that there yeah. we're also providing advice to unite members and i'm sure they'll be the same with other trade unions and professional bodies doing the same yeah. uh, just to highlight that we've set up a, a care line for vulnerable members that any uk member can get in touch with i think it's really important everyone seems to be doing the bit aren't they at the moment it feels like people are really helping each other and there's a real sense of community and and concern and that's brilliant but I wasn't aware of some of those um, support offers so I think it's great to get that message out to people as well. Just on that point as well one of the questions that I pre-written for today you've both mentioned already how you volunteered to go back into frontline practice to help out yeah Uh, I've also done that I've I've applied to NHS professionals to go back into a frontline role because I'm still registered with the NMC yeah. When I shared that information on social media, I was actually contacted by a number of our members, including those in retirement, to say how they felt really guilty about being unable to go back into service because they were, say, either in a high risk group themselves or because they lived with someone who was. Have you got any thoughts about the impact on those people and, and what we should be doing to support them? I can speak from my own experience that although I volunteered to help directly, you know, I'm a single parent, so I also have to prioritise my children within that and what would happen to them if I was going out and I had to socially isolate from them. So I've been thinking about that myself, which has made me reflect on some of the issues you've just said about people who are retired or people who haven't been able to work for other reasons. And I've had other conversations and I think for me, I think we can all do our bit, whether it's working on the front line or supporting our colleagues or helping out our neighbours and communities, using our skills in that way. I have a friend who's doing that in her local area, and I know people vulnerable are put in station to identify that they're vulnerable so that neighbours can call in on them and make sure that they've got enough shopping and that they're okay. So I think there's lots of ways we can care for people as well without necessarily needing to go back sort of onto the front line if we're not able to do that. And I think that's what I would want to say to people, really. I I would agree. There are lots of ways that people can help and uh, uh, societal cohesion is really important. The tectonic plates of social life have changed. I just saw my neighbour across the road who I used to work in psychiatric hospital with many years ago and he's returned home and I noticed that even now I could, even from a distance, I could tell that he's got 12 toilet rolls with him. Uh, So (laughs) the first thing I noticed is not that my neighbour and ex-colleague have his returned home, I noticed that my neighbour and colleagues returned home with 12 loo rolls. Um, (laughs) And so that's a trite example, Mm -hmm. but it shows how 
the yeah. fabric of social life has been altered and mm. how and caring for my mum in this last two weeks is what if somebody has no one somebody else yeah. can step into that my next door neighbour is alone and in a high risk group so I gave her her phone number because she can't come and knock the door so uh, if she needs anything from the shops uh, you know we can go get it but uh, another neighbour's already stepped up but we can step in if if that other neighbour's not available for some reason. So I think there's lots of ways that lots of people can help. I think in the kind of job that I'm in, I feel I'm helping because I'm helping advance the nursing workforce or augment the nursing workforce at this critical time whilst maintaining a workforce to newly qualify in the late summer, as we'd hope before this crisis engulfed us all. So I still think there's people can do, people doing their regular jobs, be it on the till in Tesco, in a train, taking key workers to work or on the streets maintaining law and order if you're a police officer these are all still vital roles that need to be done so people can help in lots of ways by supporting those activities and supporting activities within their own communities aside of going to the front line of nursing care for me I feel kind of called to at least offer some kind of help Mm. in a nursing sense because I have skills and knowledge that allow me to be able to do that and not everyone will be able to but there's other ways that they can help I suppose the other thing I wanted to say on a point that uh, Vanessa raised and you followed up on, Dave, was uh, our local health boards decided to keep socially distanced face-to-face upskilling for its staff. And one of those is mental health and resilience workshops, which uh, I volunteered to help out in our local acute hospitals as well. So there is some regard to being taken by NHS of the potential impact of this on staff. And as a university, I know that we're keen to support those uh, upskilling initiatives, which I think is important. The other thing that we've maybe not touched on, I think, is moral distress and bereavement and loss. I think nursing teams are likely to encounter ethical dilemmas. We're now hearing about the rationing of ventilators in London, where the pandemic is at its worst in the UK. That will create an ethical and moral distress for healthcare staff who have to be privy to some fairly excruciating decisions about who gets a ventilator I think that's uh, an impact yet to be tallied up and uh, yet to be seen really and that's going to have an ongoing impact on the NHS on staff and of course mental health staff themselves, NHS staff might lose relatives themselves and we've already seen any staff lose their lives. And of course, we might have, as a mental health profession, a very significant role to play in the recovery of this as people recover from the psychosocial traumas of this pandemic and suffer from, sadly, bereavement and loss that directly affects them as a result of it. So I think those are things that have yet to be seen We all hope that it'll be at the lesser end of the predictions, but we know there are some rather stark and terrifying predictions about how this pandemic might play. On a similar theme, is there a danger that the language we use could be doing more damage? For example, I've often referred to this current pandemic as a crisis. Am I and others just contributing further to the impact it has on our mental health? Arguably yes, but arguably no, because this is a crisis of unprecedented magnitude and the proactive response is the most dramatic that you could ever imagine, closing down social life, basically, and large Mm. tracts of work life. And so it is indeed a crisis, and to put fluffy language around it might not do that justice, but equally... um, I think some of the more portentous comments that have been in, particularly in the traditionally tabloid newspapers, have probably not helped in some ways. But I think it's without doubt a crisis and emergency unprecedented in all of our lives. Only people who are old enough probably to remember World War can remember a global crisis of this kind of magnitude.
I would agree with that. And I think if we don't use the language of crisis as well, it reduces the seriousness of the situation Mm -hmm. and people's understanding and the need to respond quickly because we Mm -hmm. are in an emergency situation. Just watching the news last night and hearing how they've developed some more medical devices that would normally take years to go through all the NHS regulations, but they've been able to go through the processes really quickly and get those out for the ward. And obviously the response around things like the NMC, getting people back into nursing roles, changing regulations slightly. I think all that's happened because we are in a crisis. And as Mike says, unprecedented magnitude Really, you know, none of us have experienced anything like it and none of us will forget this. So I think it is a crisis. And whilst I know that's kind of anxiety provoking, that is the reality of the situation that we're in at the moment. I think this is a landmark time. My mum's fond of saying after the war or after the war, after the war, she'll say, I did such and such or such and such happened. And she uses the war as a kind of landmark in her life to see how things changed. I have a feeling that we, and certainly our children, will probably talk about after the virus uh, in the way that that parents and grandparents talk about after the war. I think it's that big. What I would hope is that we do build after this a better society, that we learn lessons, that we do think about how organised we were coming into this crisis. Uh, One of the things that I've said often is the issue of we've come into this crisis on the back of another crisis. Mm -hmm. We've had 10 years plus of austerity, cuts to our social care services, health services. And so we have come into this in such a weak position and hope that what we can do is learn from that. lots and lots of sources of help out there one of the things i've been doing is every time a member's asked a question that i thought oh that link's really helpful i've been putting it on a web page so i'll put a link to that list of sources on the episode notes from today one of the things i just wanted to have a quick read through is public health england have issued some guidance for the public on mental health and well-being that's available online And it's got lots and lots of helpful tips for people to think about. It's got these headings, consider how to connect with others, help and support others, talk about your worries, look after your physical well-being, look after your sleep, try to manage difficult feelings, manage your media and information intake, get the facts, think about your new daily routine, do things you enjoy, set goals keep your mind active and take time to relax and focus on the present. We've covered quite a few of those in more detail today, but obviously for those that we haven't, if people want to go and look for that information, then hopefully that will be good. It also has a section on dealing with a mental health crisis or emergency, and I think that information is also really, really important. So it tells us you may find that the added stress of the current situation could have a big impact on your mental health, In some cases, you may feel that you are having a mental health crisis as you no longer feel able to cope or be in control of your situation. You may feel great emotional distress or anxiety, feel that you cannot cope with day-to-day life or work, think about self-harm or even suicide, or experience or hear voices. If this sort of situation happens, you should get immediate expert assessment and advice to identify and identify the best course of action and it just has a list of different things that people can do uh, including things like if you've got a crisis line number get in touch with that 
if you're under the care of a mental health team it says a specific care plan that states who to contact then contact them also charities like mind and the Samaritans have information and places to contact. So to have a look at that information and, and be ready. And earlier, Vanessa, you mentioned about the pressure that's on health staff, including one story already of a nurse taking their own life in London. Probably a, a good time to remind people about the Zero Suicide Alliance and to think about, if you've not already, doing the really quick 20-minute brief free training that's available online. Yeah, we're also arranging um, with Zero Suicide to do some online conversations about um, nurses and suicide. We'd organised kind of ahead of the crisis, but we're also having conversations about what we can do during the crisis as well. So like you say, they're a really good alliance to reach out to at the moment. One of the areas that I feel is really important that we really need to talk about um, today is about the mental health of children and young people. And I know I've touched on it a little bit, talking about my own experiences as a parent, but I'm also working on one of the mental health in schools programmes at the moment. So that's made me really conscious of the mental health part informally that people get, um, you know, children and young people get from that sort of school structure and their relationships with their teachers and their relationships with their friends. And thinking particularly children who've got special educational needs or disabilities, children who are already vulnerable, look after children, children who've got existing mental health difficulties, as well as children who are struggling at the moment because they're cut off from their everyday structure. And I think it's really important to highlight that. And I know like some of the support we've talked about, teachers are another group who are doing amazing work at the moment because they're connected to their pupils through um, you know, their own platforms, through social media. I know with the work we're doing, we're exploring if the coronavirus continues, we'll be obviously looking at what we can deliver clinical intervention online so we can still connect with children and young people. But I think it's really important. I mean, I know my children who haven't got any recognised mental health difficulties, but certainly, you know, they're anxious about the situation. They're cut off from their usual social networks. They are both using social media to stay connected with their friends, which is brilliant. But I think it's still a very anxiety-provoking time and children and young people can't really verbalise that the same way as we can as adults. So just really wanted to get across that that a group of people that we really need to be thinking about at the moment in terms of support. You're doing some important work on this and there's also other national guidance that's been yeah. made available but it, it will be something that will be properly considered. One of the problems again is that those children that are already disadvantaged <laughs> will face even more disadvantage yeah. through this. Just thinking of one example that during the week uh, we've got five kids at my house at the moment They've all got access to some technology. They're all in touch with school via video conference, via all the different online classroom hangouts. Whereas there will be other children around the country that their whole life will have been cut off in terms of accessing that support. And actually, they're the ones that we need to think about how we support the most, but probably yeah. won't get the best support. I think as well, just to say something about food banks as well at the moment, because they're obviously struggling with supplies. And I know I've been reading a lot about families who are entitled to, um, you know, free school dinners and are now struggling to provide food for their children. And that's a massive issue and an area where maybe we can reach out and help people without being patronising. 
And I think the food banks is an area um, where we could all help and I know where they're struggling at the moment. So I guess it also highlights inequality, as we've talked about already, between families that are already disadvantaged who will feel the impact much more. And I guess it reinforces that whole message as well about community as well and um, you know, being aware of who your neighbours are and being able to help each other at the moment. So Vanessa and Mike, really appreciated you spending the time with me today to talk about these really important issues. Thanks for being involved. Thank you very much for having us. Thanks very much for allowing me to participate and please everyone stay well.